Well, one plus one does not equal three. Some of you are looking at me like, wow, Roger, thanks for that advanced math lesson. Now, some of you um, may not know it, but there are a lot of people who can't count correctly. And there are people who are very smart. I've met people who are PhDs and even CPAs who don't understand that one plus one does not equal three. Now, you're saying, wait a minute, Roger, a CPA who's adding a formula different than one plus one equals two? Yeah. And you're thinking, well, I'd like to meet one of those CPAs because it would really help my books. I mean, imagine if you had a person working off a different formula. And at first, you might think, that's really great. I mean, the books would look really good. That is until that first check bounced or until an independent auditor came in and told you that rather than being in the black, you're actually bankrupt. And what we're going to see today is that the Apostle Paul was one who had been adding up things in his life in the wrong way. He was using a formula that on the books, things looked really good. But when an independent audit of his life was done by Jesus Christ, he found that instead of being in the black, he was really bankrupt. I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Philippians chapter 3 to see what we're talking about today. And as we look at Paul and the formula that he was using, I want you to check your own life to check what it is that you've been using, what the formula is that you think will help you to get to God. In Philippians 3, verses 1 through 9, Paul writes these words for us. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law, found blameless." But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteous, which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, as Paul writes these words, it looks like he's bringing the book to a close, this letter he's written. But, but then he says there are some important things I want to remind you of. One that he mentions here is to rejoice. Now, as he speaks of rejoicing, he mentions something that could steal the joy of these believers. And if you've read some of the other letters that God had Paul write in the New Testament, like the book of Romans or Galatians, in those, you'll know what he's talking about is he mentions a group called the Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers were a group of Jewish uh, people. Many of those had become believers in Christ. And as now Jewish Christians, what they were doing was saying to others, in order to become a follower of Christ, you need to follow the law in addition to faith in Christ. And they were those who, as they had come to understand who Jesus was as the Messiah, they couldn't leave behind some of their legalistic baggage. 
the rules and the rituals that they had lived under. And they were saying to everybody, including Gentiles, you need to follow these rules. That's why they were called Judaizers. Now, if you were here last week, you'll recall that Paul, who God is using to write this letter, was one who had circumcised Timothy. And circumcision was one of the, the rules, one of the laws, that the sign of the covenant that had been given to Abraham. So it's not that Paul was opposed to the Jewish laws, but what he is saying as God has him write this letter to us is, these are things that are not needing to be added to the gospel of grace. God wanted the Philippians and us to know we don't need to be drawn into the false requirements of legalism or a works-based salvation that can take away from grace. It takes away not only uh, the true gospel message that it's grace and faith alone in Christ, but it steals our joy and it steals our sense of security. Now, as Paul is writing about this group called the Judaizers, you'll notice he uses three different terms to describe them. The first is he calls them dogs. Now, that's not a very nice term, we would say. In fact, it was a term that people in that day knew well because the Jews, there were Jews who were speaking of the Gentiles as being the dogs. And so Paul is turning this term back on him. Now, it's not one of these mudslinging matches where he says, you called us a name, we're going to call you a name. But what he's doing throughout this part of the passage, you'll see, is he paints several pictures for us, things for us to hang our hat on to really get a grasp of what God is saying. And when he calls them the dogs, it's a picture that they would understand, not only because it was a, a word they had heard, but walking the streets in that day, there were packs of wild dogs that roamed the streets, and they were dangerous. They would run up and they would bark at people and they would snap at their heels. And if there was a young child in the street, they could fall prey to these dogs as they would be attacked. And Paul is warning the people that these uh, religious leaders following around behind Paul and trying to add the things to the gospel were like that. They were barking their false doctrine and they were dangerous for new believers who could be uh, drawn away into these heresies that were being taught. Now, Paul also calls them evil workers, which speaks of the, the damage they were doing and even how God viewed their empty rituals, the rules and religion that they were promoting, saying this is necessary to be saved. We read this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. He says, For as many as are the works of the law, they are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Now, as you're reading this, what, what it's telling us is this. It's not that the law is bad. God gave us the law. But why God gave us the law was to reveal our sin to reveal our need for him. And what Paul says is, for the Judaizers who are saying, you have to follow the law, you have to fulfill these things, what, what Paul is saying, God tells us is, okay, if you don't want grace, you want the law, then live in the law. But you have to live in the law 100% of the time. You have to fulfill every single law, every single time, every single day. Every moment of your life, you have to be doing that if that's how you think you're saved. Think of it this way. If I were to give you a glass of water, and it's pure, and it's clean, and, and you were about to take a drink, and I said, oh, what, wait a minute, I just want to add one drop of poison to your drink, and I, and I were to drop that drop of poison in the glass. Now, it's just one little drop in a whole glass of water. Are you going to drink that? 
How many drops of death do you need in there for that water suddenly to no longer be pure? And this was the, the picture that, that God wants us to understand is, if, if you're somebody who is trying to follow the law to get to God, then God says, great, go ahead and try that. But you have to be perfect 100% of the time. You've never lied, you've never stolen, you've never cheated, you've never done anything wrong. Is there anybody here that's lived a perfect life 100% of the time? No. In fact, God tells us that. In Romans 3.10, it says, there's none righteous. No, not one. It tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That word sin, you'll recall, means to miss the mark, to be less than perfect. Now, because of that, we have a problem, because Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. Wages are what we earn. So, friends, if you're trying to earn your way to God by being good, by going to church, by fulfilling these forms of, of the law or righteousness that are good in and of themselves, they will not get you to God. In fact, what the Bible tells us in Titus 3, verses 5 through 7 is this. God saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We, we see here it is only through receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior that we're saved. This is the gospel that Paul was preaching, but the Judaizers were coming in and saying, you need to add these works, you need to add these things to the law. If you want to know more about them, you can read the book of Acts. In Acts 15:1, it says, And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. In Acts 15:5, it tells us who these people were. It says, But certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees, who had believed, stood up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. This is why Paul calls them the false circumcision. Now, I want to remind you of Paul's background. He himself was a Pharisee. Do you remember that? Paul was one of these religious leaders, one of the teachers of the law. Paul was one who formally walked in that way and said, this is the way to God. But he had come to understand the true gospel of grace. Pharisees had come to faith in Christ, not just Paul. You have all these leaders, members of the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus, others. There were leaders of the Jewish faith who had understood that Jesus was indeed the true Messiah. And as they crossed over the line of faith and they understood grace, they let go of these rules and ritual. But there were some who said, no, you have to hold on to these things. Paul calls them the false circumcision. Circumcision was the, the outward physical sign of the covenant. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, it is no longer a physical uh, covenant sign that, that marks us as God's people. In fact, what the scriptures tell us in Romans chapter 2, in Colossians chapter 2, is that we who are believers in Christ are circumcised, but it's of the heart. There's an inward change in our life as we invite Jesus Christ into our life. It says that our heart is circumcised. That is the mark that we are a part of the family of God. Now, when it comes to this idea of circumcision, the Judaizers would say, you know, what's the big deal? You know, circumcision is just this little tiny cut that's quick and it's over. So why not? Some of you are looking at me like, are we really talking about this? Yes, we are. 
Because God wants us to understand what the big deal is. If, if you think of that glass of water a minute ago, how many drops of death do you need to, to make it no longer pure? Adding even one little thing to the gospel no longer makes it the gospel of grace. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross in John 19.30, he said, it is finished. And you've heard me tell you before that what the Greek text tells us there is he says, to tell us day. The word literally means paid in full. The account is closed. Everything is covered. God doesn't say add one more penny to the account. I made the down payment, now you do the rest. What he said it is, is paid in full. The account is closed. The wages of, of sin was death, and Jesus, who was perfect, came and paid that. And he closed the account. He doesn't need us to add anything to his sacrifice. Let me explain by going back to this picture that Paul gives us. He, when he says that, uh, when he uses the word false circumcision, the, the, the text here is very graphic. It literally means to mutilate, to cut into pieces. Now, I told you that Paul is, is painting a graphic picture here, but what he says is this. Those who were saying, look, you just add a little thing like circumcision to the law. It's just a little nip and it's over. What Paul says is, no, those who go down this road, they start with just a little nip and then they say a little more and a little more. And before they're over, you know what happened is you've castrated the person rather than just circumcision. And what he says is that they're taking the law, which the Bible tells us was meant to expose our sin, and they ended up turning it into a system that it was never designed to be. It's like taking a boy, and you don't make it a girl, you make it nothing. Paul is painting this picture for us because he is saying this is so vital that we understand as we already read in Titus 3, 5 through 7, it said it is grace. If we try to choose the law, God says forget grace because you have to follow all of the law, which everyone fails at. Now, maybe you've never met a Judaizer. I actually have. But there are people that you've probably run into that say uh, that are doing the same thing as we're reading about. Have you ever met a person who says you have to be baptized to be saved? Anyone here heard that? Now, again, we're saying what's the big deal? I mean, it's just a little thing, and the Bible even tells us that when we come to faith in Christ, we as believers should be baptized. It's a sign of our, our walk with God, a sign of our devotion that uh, Jesus Christ himself was baptized, not to save him. He was sinless, but he said he did it to fulfill all forms of righteousness. So why not just say that believers need to be baptized? Well, because what we're doing is we're adding a requirement of works to the gospel of grace. If you read Acts 16.30, Paul was asked directly the question, Paul and, and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the very next verse in 31 doesn't say believe and be baptized. It says believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And if we add in just one more thing like baptism, one more thing like circumcision, there are others who will add other things. I've met people who tell me, Roger, unless you speak in tongues, you're not saved. There, there are people that add additional things to the gospel. And what they're doing is the same work of the Judaizers. It's the debate about lordship salvation among some. How much sin do you have to stop? If Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all in your life. And you get individuals who start adding all these things into the gospel. And what God says is you've suddenly removed, you've negated the purity. You've negated what I told you you need. They're just little snips but what they end up doing is they turn it into a gospel of works. 
You can go all the way back to Abraham in the sign of circumcision. And there you'll find that salvation has always been based on faith, not works, even with Abraham in the Old Testament. This is what Romans 4.2 tells us. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed in God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. You find the same thing in Galatians chapter 3. Now, again, you're sitting here maybe thinking, Roger, what's the big deal? I mean, adding a little good things to the gospel isn't going to hurt, is it? Let me, let me describe it this way, maybe something that will help you understand it. Have you ever been trying to fly somewhere? And you get to the airport, and you go to the gate, and when you get to the gate, what they say to you is, sir or madam, you're on our standby list. Have you ever found yourself in that situation? It's becoming more and more common with the, the airlines that are completely full. I was just flying uh, just a few weeks ago, and every flight I got on was overbooked. And there were people who said, I have a ticket. And they said, yeah, but we're overbooked. You're on the standby list. Now, if you're somebody that is sitting there, and you've been told you don't have an assigned seat, you're on the standby list, what it means is you may or may not get on that next flight. And have you ever watched the people who are waiting to see if they're getting on the flight? Maybe you've been there yourself. You're nervous, you're anxious, you're thinking, i got to get on that plane. No, because I, I, I got another connecting flight, or I've got to be. And, and so what you're doing is, every time the loudspeaker goes off, what do you do? They call my name, you run up to the ticket counter. Is it, no, no, sir, we'll call you, we'll call you if you have a seat. You know, watch the monitor, your name's there, and you see all these things. And, and the whole time, the people who have a confirmed seat, they're kind of sitting back, they're relaxing, they, they know I'm getting on the plane. But the people who are on the standby list, they're anxious, they're worried. They don't know, am I on? Am I going to get to where I'm going? Now, what Paul is telling us here is, by adding these things into the gospel of grace, there are people, believers, who have been made to feel like they're on the standby list. And they don't know whether they're in or out. I grew up that way. I was raised in the Catholic Church. And as I look back, I believe that at a very early age, I really did understand who Jesus Christ was. I was taught that he was God's son. I was taught that he was crucified on the cross for our sins. But there was also this system of sacraments and works that I heard a lot about. And because of that, I was always wondering, am I in or am I out? Have I done enough to get to God? Maybe some of you grew up this way. I actually made a list you know, I was an altar boy, I was one of those good, and I would see the, the priest in the back there during confessions and things, and, and I was always keeping my list, you know. Every time I cussed, I put a little check mark so I could say, bless me, Father, for I've sinned, I've said three bad words this week. You know, because if you didn't confess it, I was thinking, am I in or out? Am I going to have to serve out more time? Is, am I good enough to get to God? And so I would, I would live under this system of fear. Remember, Paul warned us about losing our joy, losing our sense of security at the beginning of this passage. And so I was on this standby list. I wasn't ever sure, am I in or am I out? And I had no joy. I had no security in my life. I was doing good works. I was doing penance. I was doing all these things, not as an overflow of my love for God, but as a, a hope that I was doing enough to get to God. And this is what Paul is warning us about. He tells us here that none of us will ever be able to earn our way to God. Remember Romans 6.23 said, the wages of sin is death. What we earn is not entrance into heaven. 
but it's being far from God. Let me demonstrate it with this piece of paper. It's, it's just a normal piece of paper, and I want to I make a paper airplane out of it. And if, if I make a paper airplane, as we're, we're talking about flying to God, and, and I make this airplane, now you can see it here, and I'm going to drive the, the folks running the camera crazy because I'm going to try to fly it. So say I want to get to God, and I say, we're going we're gonna to get up there to God. Oh, I almost made it, didn't I? Almost got to God. No, I didn't. And, and that's what happens with us too, because the Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So when you think about our sin, you see, what we're doing is we're making airplanes, so to speak, and we're trusting in our works. And what God says is, you can't earn your way to me. So what we're going to do is we're going to take away what we're trusting in, because a paper, any airplane flies because of the wings, right? That's what gives it lift. So what God says is he wants us to, to get rid of that, that idea that, that somehow we can earn our way to him. Now, a plane gets us from here to there, but it, it fell short. Now, what, what if we make a rocket? Now, hey, a rocket will get us to God, right? Well, it got us to the moon. It's gotten things to Mars, but it's a rocket. Good enough to get us to God? No. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if we can't get to God those ways, how do we get to God? Well, the way we get to God is this way. Through Jesus Christ. You see, this is what God says to us. You can't earn your way. You can't work your way to me. But because I did the work, I died on the cross. I paid the penalty of sin. I fulfilled the, the, the need to, to pay that penalty of sin for you. And that's what God has called us to do. As you look at Philippians 3.3, 3, here it says, Paul says, I'm, I'm no longer trusting in what I did. The, the wages of sin is death, but that goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus our Lord died. Getting to heaven is not about following rules, having religion. Rather, it's about having a relationship with the one who died for you and me, who paid the penalty of sin. Paul says in Philippians 3, 3, For we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. You see, what he's saying is it's not the outward external stuff. It's not our works. Rather, it's the inward heart change that comes when we accept Christ. As we look at the rest of the passage here in Philippians 3, Paul tells us he was looking at the ledger sheet of his life, and, and he had been adding up works. He had been trusting in his own righteousness. And he said, I found instead of being in the black, I was bankrupt. For those who were trusting in their works to get to God, reading this would have blown them away. I mean, think about this. This is Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus. This was the Pharisee. He, he was better than the senior pastor of a church. He was better than the cardinal and the bishop. This, this is a guy who lived his life for God. And he says, as you look at Paul's resume here in verses 4 and 6, what, what Paul says, what we would say is, if anybody had a hope of getting to God, it was Paul. You know, they just had this group of, of football players getting to the Hall of Fame. And if you were looking at Paul's stat sheet in football, he would have been a first-round selection of the Hall of Fame. 
If it was in publishing, he would have won the Pulitzer Prize. If, if this was wartime, he would have been a Medal of Valor recipient. Paul was a religious superstar. As you look at his resume, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. What that means is he's not a convert to Judaism. He had observant parents, Jewish parents, who said, we will fulfill the law. We will fulfill it to the letter. He followed the religious rules, as did his parents. He was of the nation of Israel. He was a pure Jew. You remember Timothy last week? He had a Greek father and a Jewish mother. Paul says, hey, I am pure. He says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. This was another way of checking off that box that says, if you're looking at background, I've got it. He's a guy that says, uh, Benjamin and Joseph were the favored sons of Jacob. The first king of Israel came from the tribe of Benjamin. Paul says, I'm an aristocrat when you're looking at background. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. This, This isn't just about his background, but it's his leadership identity. If somebody had said to you, take me to your leader, they would have said, Saul of Tarsus, Paul, this is the guy. As to the law of Pharisee. Now, in our day, we think of a Pharisee in negative terms, don't we? Well, a person's a Pharisee, they're a hypocrite, legalistic. But the word Pharisee means separated ones. It was actually a badge of honor in Paul's day. What Paul was saying is, I fulfill the law. I follow God so closely. I'm somebody that is impeccable in my practices. He says, in fact, as to zeal for the law, I was a persecutor of the church. You see, Paul didn't just personally obey the law, but he said, if I see anybody out there who's not doing what the law says, man, I'm on them. Do you remember Paul? Before he was Paul, he was Saul. And he was the guy that was going around persecuting, arresting, killing Christians. In fact, he was on the road to Damascus on one of his hunting trips for believers when suddenly he was blinded by a light from heaven. And it was there that he met the resurrected Jesus Christ. As Paul was blinded, knocked off his horse, he's laying there, he hears, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it was Jesus Christ. And it was there that Paul, the follower of the law, the Pharisee, the religious leader, said, I came to realize who Jesus Christ really was. He was indeed the Messiah. And he became a believer, a follower of Christ. He says, as to the law, I was blameless. Now notice he doesn't say I was sinless. But what he's saying is when I did sin, I offered all the prescribed sacrifices. In other words, again, every time there was a wrong, I checked it off. Every time there was a debt owed on the ledger sheet, I thought I was paying it in full. Paul says, you added up any way from any angle, if there was anybody who had a shot at getting to God by being good enough, it was me. And then what he says is, there was an audit conducted. As he met Jesus Christ in the blinding light, he suddenly saw what true righteousness looked like. And Paul said, man, I am not in the black, I am bankrupt. I am a sinner. And I am far from God. I have no hope of getting to God based upon my own righteousness, based upon my own works. As he looked at the ledger of his life, he said, I've been keeping the system wrong. It's broken. He says here in verse 7, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. He says, God corrected all the accounting errors I made. And he says, it isn't rules or religion that gets him or any of us to God. Rather, it's that personal relationship with Christ. 
He says in verse 8, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, as, as Paul thinks, as Paul says he counted all things as loss here, I want you to think about your own life for a moment. How many times have we as believers, when we've come to faith in Christ and we think about the things now, the changes we should make and the things we should give up in our life, we start to say, man, look at all I'm losing out on. Look at all the fun. Look at all the stuff I've given up. Like maybe that relationship with the guy or the gal who wasn't a believer or wasn't walking as they should. And, and we start thinking, you know, again, back in this, this negative category and rules and rituals, I'm, I'm doing penance, I'm doing all these, I'm giving up all this stuff for God. Is that how you think about it? That's not what Paul is saying. Paul was saying more in terms of a woman who was on a ship. That, that suddenly was uh, the lifeboat drill was not a drill, it was for real. They said the ship is sinking. Everybody get up on deck, put on your life jackets, get to your lifeboat station. And as they were there, there was a woman standing in line. She had on her life jacket. They were, they were filling the boats and lowering these lifeboats. And she suddenly said to the crew, she said, wait, wait. I, I, I've got all this jewelry in my cabin and I need to run back and get it. So hold the boat for me, okay? I'm going to go get my jewelry and I'll be back. And, and the crew said to her, Lady, you need to get on the lifeboat right now. The ship is sinking, and if you don't get on the boat, you're going to die, and we're leaving without you. You either leave your jewelry or you save your life. Which one is it? And she gets on the boat, and the boat is lowered, and she's thinking about all this jewelry left in her cabin. And then as the boat pushes back away, and all the people are in the lifeboats, and, and they see the ship, and it sinks, and it goes under the water. Now, now the woman who's in the lifeboat can think of things in one of two ways. She can immediately say, look at all I lost. All those riches, all those great pieces of jewelry I had. Or she can think in terms of, thank God I'm alive. Thank God my life has been saved. Paul was one, as he said, I count all these things as loss. He didn't say, look at all I lost, the power, the prestige, all the stuff that I've invested my life in. Instead, he said, thank God that I'm saved. And I'm saved by grace, not through the good things I've done, not through anything that I've done. As he says in verse 8 that he counts all things as loss, he, he, he paints a very vivid picture. Again, Paul is very graphic in this part of the passage. I should have put a PG-13 warning on this message today. You know, but what he says here, when he uses the word loss, some of your Bibles say rubbish. If you're using a King James Version or a translation like it, they're a little more courageous and correct. There it says, Paul said, I counted all things as dung. You know what dung is? Now, normally I put Greek words up and show you, but I'm not putting this word up because Paul actually uses what we would say is a cuss word. He uses the slang word for human excrement. Now, again, I'm sorry to be graphic, but what Paul is saying here is, I want to leave no doubt in anybody's mind as to what it is that our lives look like. Do you know what your body produces? You eat, and it produces, there it is. And what Paul says is, that's what I looked at. He said, I took all the things in my life, all the things that I was going to show up at heaven and, and say, God, look at all the good works I did for you. And he says, as I looked at my life, 
This is what I produced. Friends, how many of us think we're going to show up at the gate of heaven one day and say to God, God, look why you should let me into heaven. This is what I did with my life. This is what I made. This is why you should let me into heaven. Now, friends, again, I'm sorry for being graphic, but Paul and God wants us to understand exactly what we are putting our hope and trust in if it's based upon our life. Paul says if there's anybody out there who had any shot at getting to God by being good enough and doing all the things, it was me. And he said, when I looked at what I produced, I said, God is holy. And there is no way I would come into his presence with that. And he said, as I looked at my life and what it produced, he said, you know what I realized? I need to wash my hands. And he washed his hands in the blood of Jesus Christ the one who washed away our sins, the one who cleanses us from all our wretchedness, all our filthiness. That's what our sin looks like to God. And Paul says, I realize that is what I need to trust in. That is what saves us. When Paul saw what his works were really like, he washed his hands in the blood of Jesus Christ, which is why he says in verse 9, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. You see, the formula is not found in works, but it's found in our faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, what are you trusting in today? Is it your good works? Or is it the work that Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross? to pay the penalty for our sins. Now, as we talk about what Jesus did, many of you are sitting here saying, Roger, I know this. You may know this intellectually, but do you know this here? Has your heart been circumcised? Have you responded in faith? Let's think about an airplane again. The airport's just right up the road here from Wayside. You can say, you know, I'm, I'm going to get on a plane and go somewhere. I talked to a man this morning who said, Roger, today I'm getting on a plane and I'm, I'm flying overseas. He knows that if he drives to the airport, he's going to get on a plane and it's going to take him from here to there. And he's got a ticket. He's got a confirmed seat. He's got his reservation. He's going to drive to the airport. He's going to check in. He's going to walk through the security. He's going to get to the gate. He's going to sit down. He's going to look out and say, there's my plane. They're fueling it up. The crew's preparing it. There's a skilled uh, crew that's going to be getting on to take him from here to there. He understands how it all works. He knows that plane is going to get him from this destination to that one. Now, the boarding call is made, and they're going to say, you know, time to board. Then they're going to make the last call on the flight. People are going to get in. They're going to close the, the door of the plane. It's going to push back. It's going to taxi, and it's going to take off. But you know what? There are people who never get from here to there. And you know why? Because they never step on the plane. You see, it's not enough to know intellectually that the plane can get you from here to there. You actually have to take a step of faith, don't you? You actually have to step through that little gateway into the plane and sit down. And as the door is closed, then you who responded by taking a seat on the plane are taken from here to there. And some of you today are here at the airport, so to speak. You're here at church. 
You're saying, well, I, I know about Jesus. I know what he did. I know that he could, you know, get me from here to there if I place my faith in him. But friends, maybe some of you here today are flying standby because you've never taken the actual step of faith. You've never moved from your seat at the gate to get on the plane and say to God, God, I am a sinner. You know, I'm like Paul. I thought maybe I had a shot at it some other way, but today, God, I realize I am lost. I've been going to church. I've been doing good things. I've been adding up my resume, and it's been looking really good. My ledger sheet, I thought I was in the black, but this morning, friends, maybe you realize you are bankrupt because you've been trusting in yourself. You've been trusting in your works. And friends, if that's you today, I invite you to get on the plane, to take the ticket that God has paid for for you, he says, if you will acknowledge you are a sinner and you will turn to his son and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you. I'm trusting in nothing else but your finished work on the cross, the one who died to pay my penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. If you will say to God, Romans 5, 8 says, that if we confess with our mouth, I'm sorry, that says God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Friends, have you ever taken the ticket? Have you ever said to God, God, I am a sinner, and today I want to step on the plane. I'm turning from my own works, and I'm turning to what you did in receiving you to be my Savior. That's all you have to do. We're going to come to the communion table today. And at the communion table, we are reminded of the ticket that God bought for us and of the price that was paid. Because when it says the wages of sin is death, somebody had to die who did not owe the penalty of sin. That was Jesus Christ. And what he did was he died in my place and yours. And no matter how wretched you've been, as I quoted Romans 5 just a moment ago, God demonstrated his own love toward you toward me in this while I was a sinner and you were a sinner Christ died for us friends if you've never taken the ticket if you've never taken that step of faith and gotten on the plane and said I realize today the only way to get to God is through Jesus and I invite you to do so in a moment as the men pass the elements there's going to be a piece of bread it represents the body of Jesus there will be a cup of juice it represents the blood of Christ that was shed to wash away our sins. I want you to say to God, if you've never fully done so, never understood that your works had not one penny to the account, God, today I'm trusting in you and you alone. I accept your death as the payment for my sins and take those elements and say to God, thank you. Thank you for your great gift of new life. If you're here today and you've already received Jesus, we invite you to come to this table. You don't have to be a member of our church just one who is a member of the family of God. This is our time where we remember God's great gift to us. So men, will you take and pass the elements? And I want us all to hold those and to confess our sins. Take this time to prepare your hearts and we'll take them together in a moment.
we hold in our hand a piece of bread. What it represents for us is the body of Jesus Christ. The body that we saw earlier in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus took on. As he humbled himself, as he left his throne in heaven to come to earth. And there we were told he humbled himself not just by being the creator who became a part of the creation, but one who is willing to become our servant. Not just washing the feet of the disciples, taking the place of the lowest servant of the day, but ultimately going all the way to the cross and dying the death of a criminal. Why did he die? To wash away our sins. To be the Lamb of God, the sacrifice. As John the Baptist said in John 129 of Jesus Christ, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It is only because Jesus was willing to come and take my place and yours to be the one who would pay that penalty of death we owed that we can be a, a part of the family of God and be saved. The body of Jesus Christ seated in remembrance of him. As Jesus gathered with the disciples at the Last Supper, it tells us he took a cup. It was the Passover and there were several cups and the one he took was was the cup of redemption. And he told the disciples, uh, this is the cup of the new covenant. No longer would it be based upon the system of sacrifices in the temple that you were trying to get to God, but today it's, it's been finalized because I'm willing to shed my blood. The book of Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus was willing to shed his pure and perfect blood to wash our hands of, of our wretchedness, to wash our hands of our sin. What you hold in your hand is, is what washed us white as snow. It's what saved us from our sins, the blood of Jesus Christ. Drink it in remembrance of him. Will you join me as we close in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your great gift. We thank you for reaching down and saving us. Lord God, without you, we realize we are hopelessly lost. Our ledger sheet shows not a hope of getting to heaven, but the hopelessness of who we are without you. That we are far from you with no hope of salvation, no hope of heaven. But then you sent your son because of your great love for us. You gave us Jesus to be our sacrifice. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us to save us. As those who have come to know you, as those who are yours, we pray, Lord, that as we leave here today, we would go into the world and we would share the good news that it's not through our works, but through the work that you did, God, as you gave your son to save us. May we share the good news of the gospel, the true gospel of grace. Thank you for letting us be a part of your family through it. It's in your precious name that we pray and thank you. Amen. Our prayer leaders at the front, if maybe this morning you prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior, we'd love to talk to you. If you have some other need in your life, we'd love to pray with you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.